You know, because this year's conference is about hope. It's about the word of hope. We love the word. And it's a word that ultimately is hope. It's good news. Amen? And you know what? People all around you and I, in our cities, people, many people in your church, in each of our churches, they need hope. There's a lot of depressing news and fears and discouragement that are pressing in upon people. But we have that hope. We have that hope in Jesus Christ. That's the only lasting hope. Amen? There is no greater hope. And I love Peter's exhortation. Turn to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1.13. I'm sure you're very familiar with this verse. It talks about that incredible hope as we anticipate Jesus coming. And I look around me and I see that his coming is near. You know, we don't know the day or the hour. But boy, have you ever seen so many things that, that we've said for years that will happen leading up to his coming happening. Wow. But I love Peter's exhortation. In 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, or fix your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Gird up the loins of your mind. I mean, who says that? (laughs) Really, I have not heard the word loins in a long time. But here's Peter. Gird up the loins of your mind and fix your hope completely on the grace. Now, in those days, in Bible times, both women and men wore girdles and long robes. Aren't you glad styles have changed? (laughs) Number one. But the thing is, is wearing these long robes, if you needed to run, if you needed to get somewhere fast, it'd be very hard. Because as you run the long robe, you would trip, do a face plant. And so they had these, these girdles, which were actually waistbands. And what they would do is that they would lift up their robes and, and tuck the folds, a.k.a. Gir, or loins, the folds of their robe into the waistband so that they could run unimpeded to their goal. Peter is saying, gird up the folds of your brain, of your mind, all those thoughts, all those thoughts. Those fears, those, those discouragements, those doubts, all those things that would pull you down and trip you up. You know, gird those under that girdle of truth 
and that hope of salvation. Tuck them up under that. And instead, let every thought be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10. You know, let it be tucked up into the hope of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Fix your hope fully, it says, on the grace that is to be brought to you. Now, we're nearer to the Lord's coming than we've ever been. Logic. (laughs) Right? Regardless of when, we're nearer. But the revelation of Jesus Christ, that is our blessed hope. The blessed hope of the church is the catching away of believers. We will be caught up to be with the Lord. The Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up. In other words, this isn't going to go on forever. And we know there's going to be seven years of terrible, terrible tribulation before the second coming of Jesus Christ actually to earth. And so the rapture, we don't know when that could happen. That could be any moment as we see things lining up and shaping up. But Jesus' coming is not doom and gloom for those who are trusting in him, right? It's hope and joy. And what's going on leading up to his coming? We find out in Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2, which is Peter's sermon. And it's a quote from Joel 2. So both Joel in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament in Acts through Luke is telling us of an incredible, hopeful thing. Really something that can give hope to anyone. And we don't have time to look at all these verses, but first just start in verse 17. Well, we'll start in 16. So you see, this is from Joel, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, starting in Joel 2.28, by the way. But in verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit On all flesh. Man, that's hopeful. On all flesh. Or some translate, all mankind. All mankind, all people. And then skipping down to verse 20, or verse, uh, at the end of verse 20, it says, all of this will happen before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. You know, that time when Jesus comes at the second coming, there's this this judgment upon the nations. One of the things that will happen is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to reach people. And look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know that's one of the signs of the last days? This this outpouring of the spirit and people being drawn into the kingdom. People coming to Christ, whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. People of all nations calling upon the Lord. 
This is our hope. This is hope for anyone. When you look at the growth in numbers of converts to Christianity worldwide, it's phenomenal. I want to share some things with you. You may not have heard, but I want to share this. David Garrison, in his book, Church Planting Movements, he documents the stats. First, the annual growth rate of the world's population is 1.2%. So each year we're growing in numbers by 1.2%. But the annual growth rate of gospel Christians, people coming to Christ who are truly gospel Christians worldwide annually is 2.6%. Every year, that's more than twice the population growth. Now, the second leading religion that is growing is Islam. Christianity is number one. Second leading is Islam. Their annual growth rate is um, 1.9%. Now, let's analyze that for a second. Annually, 950,000 people become Muslims. But almost all of these are the result of one of two possibilities. Many, most, become Muslims by being born into a Muslim family because they have huge families worldwide and in most of the Muslim nations. All right? The others, almost up to like 90-some percent, the others come to Islam or converted to Islam by threat and by force and persecution, if you don't convert, we will cut your head off. We will kill you. Through those two means, almost all of this 1.9% is how people are converted to Islam. But with gospel Christians, it's all willing conversions. Everyone chooses Jesus. Willingly. And you know how many do every year? 2.7 million new Christians every year. That's 82,000 Christians a day. This day, 82,000 will choose to follow Jesus Christ. That's three Christian conversions for every one Muslim who doesn't want his head cut off. Converting. But so many Muslims are becoming Christians. Wouldn't you? Man, the terrible presentation of the God Allah. Now, having made this comparison, I want to tell you about something amazing that's happening in the Muslim world. Multitudes are becoming Christians. Pastor Tom Doyle, I don't know if you've ever read Tom Doyle's book called Dreams and Visions. But he's a Christian missionary who for more than a dozen years has ministered in the Middle East and in Central Asia. He spread the word of Christ in Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Gaza, Afghanistan, many of the countries. In his travels, he found that he was encountering a vast number of Muslims 
who first became introduced to the biblical Jesus through dreams and visions. And that through that, these visions that were so powerful, they eventually turned from their religion of Islam and embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This unusual phenomenon is bringing hope and salvation to thousands and thousands of Muslims. And they're coming into this relationship with the true God, even though their conversion from Islam may very well lead to their execution. But the Lord's working in their life is so real that they're turning to Jesus. For example, in Iran, Iran now has the fastest growing Christian church population in the world. That's the fastest growing church in the world, Iran. Did you know that? That's amazing. All of this is documented in Doyle's book. Jesus loves Muslims. <laughs> you surprised? No, because he loved us. He loves all people. He loves all nations, tribes, tongues, and people. But in their country, the gospel of Christ is formally closed to them. But you can't close off Jesus. Amen. No matter what, the Lord has his ways of getting in. The Bible says that he is the one who opens and no one can shut. That's Jesus. In the last days we just read, it shall be, God declares in Acts 2.17, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters, it says, shall prophesy. And listen to this. Your young people will see visions and your older people will dream dreams. You may have thought, oh yeah, I have a dream. I want to serve the Lord. Well, it could be a literal dream too. Dreams and visions the Lord is giving. Literally. For example, a gal named Amina a young Arab Muslim woman. She lives in a village on the Palestinian West Bank for several months. She kept having these dreams and visions where Jesus would appear to her. Finally, in one of them, she began talking to Jesus and asking him all kinds of spiritual questions. And they had this discussion in her dream. And it was an amazing time. The next night, She had a dream, and all it was was the picture of a building. It was just she dreamt of a building all night long. So she wakes up and thinks, I think I need to find that building. So she got up. She went out looking. She went towards the town, came over the hill, and there it was. She saw it. So she walked over to it, and as she came close, a man opened the door and came out. And he said, can I help you? And Amina said, "Um, I don't know. I saw this building in a dream. He said, I see. Have you been having other dreams? And she said, yes. 
And he said, would those dreams happen to have been about Jesus? She said, yes. How'd you know? He said, well, my name's Jamal. And I, too, had many dreams about Jesus. Why don't you come inside and let's talk? So he brought her in. They talked. He told her how he had these dreams. And then he got a Bible. And Christians began to talk to him about Jesus. He converted to following Jesus Christ. He explained to her who Jesus is, what he did for her. She accepted Jesus Christ. He gave her a Bible and several Christian books, which she took home and hid. But then privately, she began devouring those books and reading them and getting so excited about the Lord that she was talking to her sister. Her sister came to know the Lord. Many of their friends started coming to know the Lord. And they decided, well, let's have an outreach. You can't just have like a, you know, concert. Let's have a Lecrae concert here on the West Bank. You can't do that. But subtly they called it a, quote, celebration for Palestinian women. Over 200 Muslim women veiled came to the celebration which they were so excited. Through this Christian man, Jamal, Amina found a woman named Hannah, who was an American there, Christian, to be their speaker. They figured an American speaker might be a little safer. So she spoke. And she talked about God's love and his call on their lives. And then they brought it to a close. But they said, hey, you can ask questions of any one of us. And we'll answer questions afterwards. So Amina, her sister, the others, Hannah, they were all available. All of them began to gather around and ask questions. They told them about Jesus. They told them how they could know this love and answer God's call. Now, one woman was clothed in a red veil. And Amina noticed her over there. She spent the whole time talking to Hannah afterwards. And this was very curious to Amina. So she said, this woman in the red veil, Hannah, did she happen to be interested in Jesus? And Hannah said, well, yes, very interested. In fact, she invited me over for dinner tonight. Whoa. Amina says, that really surprises me. And Hannah says, well, why would that surprise you? Well, that woman is married to the top Hamas leader. But have a nice dinner tonight. (laughs) And she went over and they did have a nice dinner. And that story is ongoing. Now, you'd have to be blind and deaf to not realize that the dominating news in world news in recent weeks has been ISIS or ISIL or the Islamic State, a brutal, vicious Islamic terrorist army gobbling up cities, territory in Syria and Iraq. Of course, we know it's most known for the beheadings, beheading American journalists and aid workers, British journalists, 
going to cities, overtaking, bringing the Christians out, ordering them to denounce Christianity or die, become converted to Islam or be beheaded. And we're horrified. Our hearts are broken, torn to bits. And now here in America, a man who's converted to Islam, a disgruntled employee goes and beheads one of his fellow employees. He's been talking to them about Islam. This is horrendous. These people, ISIS, are the epitome of evil and satanic, murderous, cowardly monsters. How cowardly would you have to be to kill women and children who are helpless? It's a terrible thing. Now, their original name, ISIL, is very interesting. And it stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Have you bothered to look up what the Levant is? Let me explain it. It refers to all lands bordering the eastern shore of the Mediterranean and Aegean seas, including Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Palestine, and Israel. Like all Muslim states, their ultimate goal is to possess Israel, Palestine, and especially Jerusalem. This is their goal. To reclaim what they believe belongs to Islam that was under Islam for many years. And they're the Islamic caliphate. And they're going to take over the world. That's their belief. It's interesting in Zechariah. We all know 12.2 and 3. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. This is one of the things. Zechariah is telling us that the battle for Jerusalem will help trigger world war in the end times. You see, many people, not just Muslims, dispute the claim that God gave the land of Canaan or Palestine to Israel. But God specifically promised it to Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He told him to go to a land that I will show you. And that land was Canaan, which became Israel that some people call Palestine, mistakenly because of the name Philistines. But God told Abraham he would give it to him. And Jacob, after him, Moses said the same thing. Joshua brought them in. They conquered the land. In Psalm 105, verse 11, the Lord said, quote, To you, Israel, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. How more clear could it be? 
And yet there are Christians who are saying that it doesn't belong to Israel. Read your Bible, man. Read your Bible. But this is part of the dispute of the end times. Now, on May 14th, 1948, the UN finally voted to recognize what God had promised thousands of years before. And students and scholars of the Bible had predicted for centuries that Israel would come and repossess that land. Ezekiel in chapter 37 had said that those dry bones of Israel scattered everywhere would reconnect and God would make them a nation again. And that happened, right? Physically it's happened, but for the majority of the Israelis, the Jews there, they're not yet believers, yet there are thousands upon thousands of Messianic believers that are there. I was interested to learn in Ray Bentley's book, The Holy Land Key, that Sir Isaac Newton, I think, history's greatest scientist, he wrote over 300 years ago that the Jews would return to their homeland. He was a devout Christian and and follower of the Bible, student of the Bible. Incredible scientist. And Christopher Columbus... Listen to this. Ray shared that he had read in the book of prophecies that Christopher Columbus himself wrote. You know, in 1492, what happened, right? You remember that date? Something many of us were old enough to be there. But he had that incredible voyage where he sailed west believing that he could reach the Far East, what's called the East Indies, what was called the East Indies back then. Why did he do that? He had read in Isaiah 40, verse 22, that we all know very well, that the earth is a sphere. The Bible's been saying that for thousands of years, way before Magellan discovered, discovered you could that it actually was one. But it's interesting Columbus, on his mission in 1492, planned to go to the East Indies and then up to Jerusalem to actually, and he wrote this down, help rebuild the temple for the Jews. Some people think Columbus was a Jew. One thing we know is he was a devoted Christian. And he expressed his desire for the liberation of Jerusalem from Muslim domination and, quote, the universal conversion of the peoples to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think maybe a most amazing prophecy that he mentioned in the book of prophecies was this. The sons of Ishmael he said, will be the leaders of the persecution of Christians in the final days of the world. As he was studying the Bible in the late 15th century, that's what came to him. And remarkably, incredibly, it's come true before our very eyes because of radical Islam. So interesting. Revelation chapters 12 and 13 make it clear that in the end times, that is during the great tribulation times, 
There will be a horrible antichrist satanic persecution against Israel, chapter 12. And in chapter 13, against the tribulation believers. Who are they? Those who come to know Christ after missing the rapture. These believers that will turn to the Lord. The Bible says that there will be multitudes, thousands, probably millions from every tribe, tongue, and people who will be the tribulation saints. Not the same as the church, the redeemed that we read about in chapter 5, but the ones that are mentioned in chapter 7 and on. And it's interesting Because in Revelation 20, verse 4, it speaks of these tribulation saints as being beheaded. And why were they beheaded? For their witness of Jesus. Revelation 20, verse 4. But listen, people. This is a message of hope. Listen to this. It goes on to say in that verse that, quote, they were resurrected and came to life and sat on thrones and reigned with Jesus Christ in his kingdom for a thousand years. Yeah. No matter how bad persecution may get for believers, and during the Great Tribulation, it'll be the worst for everybody. Everybody. I I thank God for the rapture too. Listen, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, This death, regardless of how it is, will be a momentary light affliction, producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Every one of those saints who's been killed, and my heart breaks when I read the stories. I don't even want to see the videos. But when I hear that, every believer, I know Jesus was right there with them. Just like he was with with Stephen, just like he was was with each one. Precious in the sight of God, it says in Psalms, are the death of his godly ones. They're precious to him. But we need to know that what the world is coming to is not an Islamic caliphate. What the world is coming to, ultimately, is to Christ's kingdom come his will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's what he told us to pray you believe that prayer do you think he told us to pray that thy kingdom come on earth because it's not coming on earth thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's not going to come he told us to pray for this and listen to this revelation eleven fifteen says The kingdoms of this world and of the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's where it's going. People, that's where it's going. We have this hope. And we can share that hope with every single person. ISIS, they're a pinprick on the screen of history. You know, the Bible says that both Syria and Iraq will become fallen ruins in the last day's judgment. That's, that's 
very, what's happening there now is just a means to more and more people coming into Christ's kingdom. And it's tragic, it's sad. But the hope that we have, that's the real message. That's the excitement. Now, what I'd like to share is Jesus loves all people. He loves Syrians. He loves Iraqis, Muslims, Jews, Israelis. He loves people in your cities. He loves you, your family. He loves your people's family, their neighbors, their friends. He loves all nations, red, yellow, black, brown, white. He loves everyone. And he's reaching out to them. He's saving them. God is at work. That's our mission. It's a great mission because he's with us. And he told us, share with them a good news of hope. The time is short. Don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful. Don't be caught up in all the craziness politically. We have a mission. We need to be on mission. Right? Let me tell you a story about a guy named Adele. All right? You know, they're on mission in the Middle East. They don't have anything else. Believers. Adele Haddad, a teenager in Syria, growing up like many young Muslims, nominal, not really believing much. But as he got older, he began to get this obsession for a cause, you know, like all young people do. And to know the true religion. And so he began to search it out. Now, If ISIS would have come by, he would have been a prime candidate. But he began to search out on the internet all the different religions. As he did, he was looking at Christianity, but it didn't really impact him at first until he had a dream about Jesus. He thought, well, that's strange. And he thought, but, you know, that's just just a dream. It's no big deal. But then for 29 more straight days, he dreamt of Jesus. And the Lord appeared to him and talked to him. Finally, he goes, man, I need to know about this God and Jesus. He found a Christian believer who told him the gospel and he committed his life to the Lord. Now, in these Muslim countries where it's closed, they're finding that about 25 to 33% of people who truly convert and become Christians and love the Lord, it started with a dream or a vision. That's what they're seeing. Because you can't stop the Lord. ISIS cannot stop Jesus. Amen? Yeah. And, And no one can stop Jesus in your town. Even though your town is the hardest one to reach on the face of the earth. Jesus can do it. He can do it. It's exciting what he can do. Well, Adele gave his life to the Lord. He was so intense in his commitment. He began to reach out. Many people started coming to the Lord. He just, by default, became a pastor. Kind of like a lot of us Calvary guys. And in his house, he began to pastor his church. And it began to grow. 
And he began to keep reaching out. And as he did, he came in contact with the Syrian secret police. Why? Because 40% of the population in Syria is part of the spy network. 40%. It's almost getting that way in America. I don't know, but no. Okay. They were informing. So he would be brought in. He was arrested many times. And as a result, he got to know a lot of the spy agents of Syria who were part of the Shubat, the secret police. And they became like friends. He gained a heart for them. He just really started loving them. It's so sad. Here they are spying on me and, and all this. They need Jesus. And so he befriended them. Each time he was let out of jail. And one day, one of these spies who was assigned to him, named Muhammad, stopped him on the street and said, Adele, why do you think I keep having these dreams about Jesus? Now, Adele thinks, well, wait a second. Is this genuine or is this a way for him to You know, do sinister things. So he asked him the question, tell me about these dreams. And he said, well, Jesus keeps asking me, Muhammad, why are you persecuting me? And Adele, I'm not persecuting Jesus. I'm just trying to do my job. He said, and Adele goes, oh, now, where were you when you had this dream? Well, I was in my hotel in Damascus. And Adele said, okay, you were in a hotel in Damascus. And in a dream, Jesus appeared to you and said, why are you persecuting me? Yes. You know, there was another man who had a vision of Jesus on his way to Damascus. His name was Saul. Now we know him as Paul. Jesus got hold of his life in love, changed his whole life. Now he's written most of the New Testament. He loves Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He told him all about Jesus. He gave his life to the Lord. Remained in the secret police and now covertly is a Christian reaching other of the secret police. The Lord is able. God is at work. There's hope, man. There's so much hope for your ministry. There's another fellow, one other I want to share about, named Hormoz, an Iranian. He has the most popular satellite TV show in Iran. You know, satellite TV, 45 million Iranians get satellite TV out of 75 million inhabitants. Every program that Hermos shows there in Iran, seven to nine million people watch each time that it's on. And it's a show for evangelizing Muslims called Iran Alive. Well, Hermos and his wife were not Christians, but he came to America to study. And while he was in college there, 
Christians witnessed to him. He gave his life to Jesus, as did his wife. But he didn't go back to Iran. He stayed in America and became a television uh, producer and wanted to have a TV show. And he beams it into Iran from L.A. So it's going into Iran. Iran alive from L.A. And it's a call-in program. Well, Muslims will call in, but they're hard to reach. So the Lord is working in their lives in other ways, but they're talking to him as well on the program. For example, a woman named Dina. Now, this woman was an undercover agent in Iran's national morality police called the FSP. And she became a regular caller. Her job was to hunt down women who were immodest at all, showed any skin, and they'd be brought in to be beaten with lashes. Or if they had converted to Christianity, to be killed. Or whatever Sharia law code that they had violated, that was her job, and she loved doing it. And she would call Hormoz's show, and she said, you Christians are going to hell. Allah's going to send you into the flames. Sounds like TV preachers, but it's about Allah. And Hormoz responded, Dina, whenever you call, you sound angry and full of hate. Tell me, is that what Islam gives you? She said, no, Islam gave me a good life. He said, oh, tell me one joy that it's given you. Pause. Well, right now I'm having other problems. Okay. What are they, Dina? I think Jesus can help you. Very reluctantly, she finally responded, my mother has cancer. Soon she will die. The doctors can do nothing more for her. No one can help. So we're committing suicide together tonight as I'm talking to you. I wanted to do it on your show to show you what fools you are. Hormoz says, that's really sad to hear, Dina. Could I ask you one request? Would you postpone this suicide for a week? And pray with me to Jesus for help. See what he does. You got nothing to lose. Will you do that? Long pause. Okay, I'll do it. But the Christian God's a false God. Only Allah answers prayers. Hormoz carefully responds, well, he hasn't answered your prayer for this problem. I'm asking you to pray with me to Jesus. But I don't believe this. Just pray after me. Would you do that? No comment. Pray after me. Dear Jesus. No comment. Say it. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus, please be my Savior and Lord. Say it, say it. Please be my Savior and Lord. And if it's your will, heal my mom. If it's your will, heal my mom. Amen. Five nights later, nothing's happened. Dina's in her room. 
Her mom opens the door, peers in. She has this peaceful smile on her face. Dina jumps out of bed. Mom, how did you get up from bed and walk over here? Dina, I thought, I thought I'd die tonight. But when I saw his face again, right there in my room, mom, whose face? Dina, it was Jesus. I saw him in my dreams, but then I saw him in my room. And soon I realized my pain was all gone, all of it gone. I felt so peaceful. I decided to get up and that I could walk. And I did. Dina, I'm well. I'm well. Two days later, Dina calls the show. It's a weekly show. It's on the seventh day. Hormoz. Welcome back, Dina. How are you? Hormoz, I repeated your prayer last week, but not seriously. I didn't want Jesus to be the answer, but I couldn't deny peace kept filling me. And then my mom came into my room. She had seen Jesus' face in a vision. And I hadn't told her anything about my conversation with you. And now she's here with me and she's completely healed. She's all well. That caused a lot of calls to come to that program. (laughs) And a lot of people gave their lives to the Lord. And Dina's mom continues to be healed. And Dina now is married to a former Muslim, now Christian. And they're both serving the Lord in Iran. God is at work. The Lord loves people. We just had a Westlake outreach in the center of Seattle. And our worship band played. Hundreds of people, like always, come in. We shared the gospel between songs. This one guy heard this. He'd been in the gay lifestyle for five years. But he had been raised in a Calvary. But he came up here to be in the gay lifestyle. And he was in that. And he heard this. And he was so caught. By the Lord. He began to talk to one of our gals named Christine. She shared with him all about the Lord again. We told him about one of our Calvaries, the Calvary up on Capitol Hill, which was near his house. He's been going there ever since. A Sunday night ago, he wept during the entire message. And my son, Nick, talked to him for an hour and prayed with him. He's now giving his life and following Jesus because God loves all people. He's ready to save people. At any moment, are we ready to reap? Do we have the hope of Christ? We do. God loves people. He's working. Guys, the fields are white. We hope in Christ, amen, never let fears or discouragement or whatever you're going through distract you. Let him lift your heart. He's the lifter of our heads. Lift your head and see that the fields are white.
And he is using you. He's using you. You're his servant. You have the best news. A few years ago, my whole family and I were in Rome and there's this dungeon in Rome. And this dungeon is where they would bring the prisoners that they were going to execute. This was an ancient, ancient dungeon. Way before even the first century. And it's accepted and thought that this is the dungeon where both Peter and Paul were brought in 69 AD by Caesar Nero. Just before Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded. And we were in that that dungeon, me and all my kids and my wife. We were just thinking. We began praying together and singing. Man, Holy Spirit, just filled us. We were the only ones there. Uh, People would come in and then leave when probably, yeah. But anyway, we were so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And it's like the Lord was saying to me, Wayne, never be afraid. Wayne, keep going. Because when Peter and Paul left here and they were martyred for my name, their next sight was seeing me face to face. And I said to them, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we don't even face that stuff much here in this country. Surely we can keep our focus and our hope alive. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the incredible hope we have in Christ. The enemy wants to tear it down with fears, tear it down with discouragement, tear it down with temptations and all this other stuff. But Lord, you brought us here to lift our heads. You are the lifter of our heads. You've given us the word of hope and we're so thankful. We're so blessed, Lord, by you to be able to be your servants today. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. I don't know what burden you may have on your heart. Anything that might be weighing you down or distracting you or pulling you away from that focus on the hope of your life. Whatever it is, if you can cast it upon the Lord, he wants to take it off your shoulders and freshly empower you 